And horses are the same and they're sensitive animals. I always say you need a year before you really know if you're gonna be long-term suited to the horse and, and maybe you're not. Excellence is about standing and excellence is a requirement for your dream come true. Welcome to Unfiltered Athletes. I'm your host, Leo. In this podcast, we go behind the scenes with world-class athletes to reveal the untold stories of their journeys. From grueling training sessions to mental strategies to achieve greatness, get ready for a raw, unfiltered look at the world of sports. In this episode, I have a discussion with Belinda Trussell, a two-time Olympian in dressage, one of the three Olympic disciplines in horse riding. We recorded the podcast at the Oakrest Farm, north of Toronto, a land she acquired in 1996 and where she built a horse training facility, now hosting and training more than 20 horses. Belinda brings us into the world of this noble sport where the connection between the athlete and the horse reaches unimaginable levels. Belinda is a know-it-all with horses, so I'm sure you'll learn a lot during this episode and most likely you will want to ride a horse next weekend. And Belinda's story with horses started on another continent. Uh, well, I started riding in the Philippines. I lived in the Philippines at the time. And I was, um, oh, how old was I? I think I was 10 years old. And uh, we belonged to a polo club. I was into, at that time, I was playing tennis and on the swim team and just doing kind of every sport a kid does. And this club had horses. Um, and my sister and I, we went to the barn and I really wanted to ride. And riding is not in my family at all. So when we went home and I said to my parents, um, we want to ride, they're like, ride what? And we're like, ride horses <laughs> and like horses. And my first memory is in the riding school there. So they had a riding school in the Philippines and you used to like ride with about, I think of six to eight other riders. And I remember being on this one horse called Blue Moon. And he always had to be in the back of the group. Otherwise, he'd kick the other horses. And that is my first memory was always making sure he was in the back so he wouldn't kick anybody. Yeah, and that's um, yeah, the first start to horses. Interesting. Is Philippine known for horse riding or was it just, uh, just happened? It just happened. I mean, okay. there's more polo in the Philippines okay. than dressage or, or jumping but there is a little bit of jumping and dressage there as well okay. uh, but it's mainly polo but it's not no it's not high for horses that just ha they just happen to have okay. horses at this club okay interesting and why were you in the philippines was your family or parents working there yeah my dad was working there and we were transferred to many different countries um as I was growing up as a kid okay. and we were there for about four years. In the okay. Philippines. Okay. So when did you, I think you visited or lived in other countries as well, right? Before yes. coming to Canada or yes. did you ever live in Canada before settling here after your career? No, no. Okay. I moved here when I was 16 Okay. and uh, I always felt like I was a bit of a gypsy. Like I, mm -hmm. I was born in Australia Okay. and was Australian initially and my parents were Australian as well and my sister. And then we moved everywhere. Like I moved to Indonesia, Singapore, Hong Kong, Philippines, Atlanta, Georgia. And when we moved to Canada, when I was 16, I felt um, finally at home somewhere. Okay. I never really felt like I had a home. Like I didn't feel Australian. I didn't feel Southeast Asian or I didn't feel American. I just felt like I was always a foreigner in every country I lived in. And, and there was something about Canada where I just felt like home. 
And uh, I was the first one in my family to change my citizenship. It wasn't um, because of sport. It was actually because I liked the country because you know, often you might want to ride for the country you live in, but I, I really love the country. So I changed my citizenship. And, and um, since then, the rest of my family has too, mm-hmm. which has been fun. And did you settle here in the neighborhoods of Toronto from the beginning? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, just outside of Toronto. And um, I've only lived in two different places in Toronto besides university. I went to University of Toronto. Okay. And so when you got here or in Canada at, at 16, was uh, horse riding really the thing in your life? Or were you, yeah. were you still kind of progressing? And uh, um, or, I'm not progressing. But I mean, yeah, you were already focused solely on becoming a horse rider. No, I wasn't focused on it. It was a hobby. Definitely okay. just a hobby. Okay. I was riding uh, show jumping at the time. No, no. Sorry. I was riding show jumping in Atlanta, which we um where we lived before here and we had just switched to dressage but canada was really the place that made me serious about riding and it was my first international events when i moved to canada and there's a competition called the young riders championships and i ride i rode in those championships for australia because at that time we had just moved here and it was a few years into living in canada Um, and that so canada i became more serious about riding um And then started having dreams of going further in the sport and Olympic dreams. Never professional. I didn't think I was going to be professional at that point. But I did think, could I do this for a few years, make mm-hmm. an Olympics, um, but also get another you know, real job, as we say. Okay, yeah. So, so usually that kind of question comes a bit later. But you mentioned it like becoming professional. Uh, have you been in your career considered or... Yeah. Were you a professional and living off the sport or the sport? I am now. Yes. Okay. Yes. And I have been for many years. Okay. So it means living off the sport, getting revenue out of it, prize money if if it happens, but I guess sponsors and stuff like that. Yes. Okay. So you never had to get a a side job, which the people I talked to so far, I would say half of them or more have to have a a side job, even though they go to the Olympics for, you know, uh, whatever the sports, they have to get another source of funding and revenue. Otherwise they, you know, they just can't travel and and stuff like that. Right. uh, Yes. I mean, well, it's really convenient for us because I can coach and so I coach in my sport or I train horses for other people. Okay. And get my revenue that way. Okay. So that would fund my own horses and, bringing them along to an Olympic games. And then I have, um, you, it's, I have two owners that are really fabulous where I am training their horse in hopes of teams. So, um, it's a combination of okay. everything, but it all, the, the equestrian industry is funding my life. Okay. Yes. Okay. That's, a, that's very interesting. And I guess it's the best for people who are passionate about this, their sports. Uh, there aren't all the sports where you can, you know, practice at the highest level and at the same time do something on the side that's also related to the job that makes you live off of it. So yeah. uh, that's a, well, you're, you're lucky in a way that uh, that what you do allows you. Uh, so if we get a bit more technical, what I just said before we started recording is I'm not uh, knowledgeable about horse riding and all the categories and all that. So I'll let you dig a bit into that. And I'm pretty sure most of the listeners won't be as well. So um, you're a horse rider. Horse riding seems to be the most generic word <laughs> about what you do there are three disciplines which i researched dressage which you specialize in eventing and show jumping yes, <laughs> yes. um yeah so what exactly uh, are those three different uh, different disciplines and those are the three that are olympic level okay there's also many other types of riding that are available like there's barrel racing there's western riding there's raining there's so many different kinds of riding that 
also have huge industries of their own, but they aren't Olympic level. Okay. So the Olympics, um, so dressage, what I do is, um, it's similar to teaching the horse ballet or dancing. So you teach them these different movements and it's, we related a lot to figure skating where you have a certain pattern mm -hmm. that you have to ride and then you're judged on that pattern. And there's also a musical freestyle. So then you have music and you choreograph and you can make your own pattern, but there have to be certain elements that are required in that pattern. Okay. So dressage is a lot about training and the word dressage actually means training in, in French. French. Yeah. So that's <laughs> yes. why I can relate to that. <laughs> yes. So, um, and, and, and it is, it's training. I mean, the days that we spend in, in the arena and hours, it's enormous. Like it often, it, on, a, on a general point standpoint, it takes six years to develop one horse to the Olympic level. Wow. And if that's, if they even can do it, because it's, and a horse is like any athlete, like some are very talented for certain mm -hmm. things and some are not, and some have the mental game and some do not. So there's uh, a lot of unknowns along the way, but it takes about six years. So that's dressage. Um, show jumping, as I'm sure most people have seen that, it's much more popular mm -hmm. and easier to follow because you either clear the fence or you don't. And if you're fast, no. you win. <laughs> and, and it's uh, simpler to follow and very exciting. Um, and the jumps are, are at the Olympic level are absolutely enormous. Like it's, it's crazy if you yeah, stand up. We don't realize that when you see on no. TV, because I've seen, honestly, I've seen also show jumping. I've, I haven't witnessed or watched uh, dressage, I would say, at the Olympics. Like, eight years ago in France. Um, but yeah, you, you, on TV, you see, it, it seems easy, but I'm sure if you're standing next to it, oh. it's probably And the width, like the width of the jump, you know, so they have these jumps called oxers where there's two jumps. They have to actually jump not only high, but very, very wide. And the okay. width can be as tall as you and me, like Jeez. five feet, six feet, sometimes in between okay. these jumps. Um, so the, the athleticism is just enormous and the bravery, I yeah. think, of the riders is incredible. Um, so that's show jumping and, uh, eventing is a combination of the three and uh, sorry, the three sorry, the combination of a two of the two disciplines, dressage and show jumping plus the cross cross country aspect. So they have a dressage test and they have a show jumping test as well. And then the third element is cross country where they gallop through a course and okay. they jump jumps and they are also jumped on time and faults. So if they hit the fence or don't clear the fence, uh, the difference with the cross country is uh, the, the jumps are fixed. Okay. They don't fall down. So it's a little bit more scary the in genders, certain ways. Yeah. And, they, and they have to jump sometimes in water and uh, like in little lakes and things like that. Okay. So eventing is... Uh, is the more rounded and has aspects of both show jumping and dressage in it plus the cross country okay so you need probably the horses and and the athletes also must have like more competencies like heptathlon or decathlon when you need to know a lot of different sports they yes. need to be well uh, educated for the yeah. dressage part they need to be fast jump high and all that so yeah. i guess the, the the horse itself must have like more more uh, well-rounded yeah. for sure and not near as, as specialized like their dressage is was it's an obvious because they wouldn't be able to spend as much time on one discipline mm -hmm. that their dressage is an easier level than our level at the Olympics and the show jumping is also easier than the show jumping level okay um, but still very difficult I don't want to say anything's easy <laughs> yeah. it's still very difficult they're incredible athletes okay so in that case for dressage you'll have are there differences between um oh there are but what are the differences between dressage and show jumping for example do you have like a 
an athletic physical uh, horse for short jumping and a more kind of educated or well-rounded or uh, a horse that listens more uh, for dressage um more in in their body shape and okay. their confirmation so that they have a certain confirmation they have the power to jump high jumps and dressage they have to have the like the, their neck position and the way their pelvis is shaped and their backs are shaped to do our sport at the highest level there's these movements called piaf passage where you basically they trot on the spot mm -hmm. or they trot in slow motion and it, it does really help to have certain confirmation for those movements i would say for personality a show jumper definitely has to be very very brave mm -hmm. and want to like attack a fence like they want to go to the fence and love jumping mm -hmm. um and saying that you can also have the odd horse that might be a dressage horse but loves jumping and is more suited for that uh, i think also another point for the show jumpers is they need to be fast that they, and handy like they mm -hmm. can they can stop and turn and really really quickly and how early in the life of the the horse do you know um if it's gonna be good at one um discipline or the other and second question is are they different breed in a way or are they the same uh they're definitely horse at when they were born they have different um different lines like hair like lineage lines the jumpers versus the dressage horses the dressage stallions they have stallions specifically for dressage and vice versa for show jumping um, and you usually know as a young horse you have an idea as a four-year-old but if they're going to be a show jumper or a dressage horse just in the way they move or in the way they carry themselves but you don't really know how good they're going to be or if you should change disciplines I want to say until they're between six and eight years of age okay okay yeah. And how long do they live and what's their peak age for you know, perf to perform at the Olympics? The peak for dressage is around 12 to 14, okay. 12 years old to 14. And I want to say it's pretty similar, maybe a year or two younger for show jumping, but pretty similar. Okay. Um, and they usually live anywhere between like 20s to 30s. Okay. And you retire them. Most top horses retire around 18, 19. Okay. Interesting. So just a side note. So for the listeners, we're here at Oakrest Farm, which you've been building and you own the land for 26 years now. And I'm here looking at the, how do you call the arena, the, the arena yeah. uh, with horse, uh, people horse riding. So I feel like a, a stranger or someone out, it's out of this world. And I was in, in Toronto an hour ago. So it's <laughs> such a big difference which I mentioned before, so my question might be a bit shallow or I don't have the vocabulary, so feel free to you know, correct me when I'm not using the right words and dig you know, deeper than the question I initially asked. Um, so, yeah, so going back to, to dressage, um, you have this farm here, so I guess you, um, you breed the, the horses or you, how <laughs> would you say that? You I don't breed take, them. You don't breed them? No. Okay, okay no. you get them when they are... I usually, What? for me, I like buying them anywhere between the ages of three and five okay. is ideal for me. Or if, um, you know, clients have a higher budget, then you can buy them a bit more trained and they're more expensive as they get more trained. Okay. But I, I don't breed them myself cause, myself because that's a whole science okay. in itself. Like a, there's, I'm, I train them and teach and compete them. Uh, the breeding is lineage and history and getting bloodlines. That's in a, a certain like it's, it's a, a whole science it's a in whole itself. science okay. and 
I don't have the knowledge um, or history behind me to okay. to do that. I um, typically buy my horses from Europe. From Europe. Okay. Uh, they have they they've been doing it for many many years, like cent- like centuries. And which which countries are most known for breeding horses? Uh, Germany. Okay. Uh, Denmark. Uh, Holland is probably those are the probably the three most popular. Okay. Swedish horses are also very good. There's like, but they have just so much more history and time they put into their breeding programs. And the equestrian industry over there is really huge. Okay. Uh, it's not near as big in Canada. And so they have farms that have been doing this for multiple generations. So their, their lines are good. Okay. Uh, so then in general, I will go over there to buy a young horse. Okay. And, um, so, so you said you buy four clients. So are they people that just want a horse? Are they people that want to compete? Uh, do they want to, yeah, what type of clients do you have here? Are they mostly for, you know, um, competitions? Mixed. So okay. I have some that uh, would like a trained horse to learn how to ride those movements okay. on the horse and, and also bond with the horse, obviously. Um, and I do have some that are very competitive that also want to be the top in the sport. And then I have uh, adult amateurs that just enjoy their horse, but want to compete and do the best that they can do at their level. So yeah. it's a big mix. Okay. And the owners, are they the ones riding or do you have owners and then they match a horse with an athlete and they just own the horse? Uh, these are lots of questions yeah, I'm just very no, curious I about. I know they're all great questions. So in general, they're the ones that are riding. Okay. And Every every now and then I have I don't have a, an owner that w- wants me to match a horse for somebody else, but they might want to match a horse with me for me to bring along and see if the horse will be talented enough to be a team horse. Uh, and I do sometimes have um, people who ask me to find horses for them that are outside of my own clientele. Because okay, if just to ask me for my opinion or. My contacts. Okay, so so you would you would see a horse? Would you need to ride him or her for uh, for a while to see you know the, the the potential he has and stuff like that? Yeah, for me, I do. I like to usually when you're looking and you're buying a horse, you try them at least two times, and I like to to be able to ride them more than that if possible. But sometimes the sales yards don't always want you to because they have other clients coming, so they mm-hmm. want to make you make a decision. Um, but I liked, I definitely, for me, I need to sit on them because you feel so much more on their backs Mm -hmm. and you get to know their reactions and their personalities on their backs. And that's how I connect with the horses. There are other professionals that don't need to do that. Like they can just see a horse and think that that one is, that looks like that one will work or this one will work, but not for me personally. For me, it's really about the relationship, not only on the ground, but in the tack, like in the saddle. Okay. And um, so would you travel if you, you know, get a horse from Europe, would you travel there to yeah. to uh, ride the horse? Yeah. 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 I've, it's been a really wonderful sport for me because I've been to so many places I never think yeah. I would have gone to in the world, um, especially Europe, more in Europe, to find horses that aren't, you know, touristy, that they're, they're very you know, good. They sell great horses so i've gone to try them and it's probably easier to travel as a human being than make the horse come to you would you yeah assume? yeah and it's expensive i mean once you buy buy one then you have to fly them here and that's uh, 
yeah they're, it's, like you wouldn't they uh, someone selling a horse wouldn't fly the horse to you yeah. to try um <laughs> so that's that was my next question popping into my mind like how do you fly a horse do, do you have specific charter planes or yeah Yep, they have charter planes. Sometimes they're in passenger planes. You might have even been in, uh, in a plane oh, with a horse. In the, in the, they're in, in the, the cargo in the back. So they, have, they need like a heated area or... Yeah, it has to be the same temperature as for humans in general on the cooler side so they don't get too hot. But um, there, there are some flights. Uh, I fl I've flown Air Canada, KLM and Lufthansa. Um, they're called Combi. So it's half okay. passenger and half cargo. So there's just like a door in the back of the plane and oh. you open that door oh, really? and then you see the cargo in the back. So it's the same level and as do, the passenger. Do the passenger know it? No. I've never, okay. No. And, and I've had some like <laughs> four, four passengers in the past where I've been in the back with the horse and okay. I've been with, and so you, when you uh, enter the plane, you enter through the cargo sections. You don't go through the terminal at all with the passengers. Mm -hmm. So I've been in the back and stand, stood with the horse during takeoff because that's, The hardest part is takeoff and landing. Yeah, well, and then I've gone. And shaky. Yeah, it's shaky and there's a lot of noise, and then the altitude changes and stuff oh, yeah. like that. Um, and then once they're settled at the um, cruising altitude, then I'll go to my seat, and the poor person's like, Where did you come from? Because they smell the. Because <laughs> you're in oh. the air. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you weren't here before. So. Okay, and uh, do, do they smell that the, the, yeah, there's I know. A, you, a couple yeah. horses in the back? I haven't maybe? had anyone comment on that, but I'm sure they're, they're feeling it. <laughs> You must be surprised. I'm just the, the pilot. I'm just <laughs> sitting in the back for now. Yeah. Uh, cool. So, yeah, and how, if, I don't know if that's uh, public, it probably is. How much is a horse in general? How much do they cost? Yeah. Oh, anywhere. I mean, you could get like a foal for a few thousand dollars up to, you know, a top. Mainly the horses that are already showing the potential for Olympic Games and with huge talent can be in the millions and multiple Jesus. millions. Oh mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So million in that case when you buy for such big amounts it's because you know I mean you have a client that has is an athlete that has the level to go to the Olympics and you know the horse itself uh, yeah. also has the potential, right? Yeah. Great. Yeah. Okay. And there's very few. That's why they're so expensive is because it's like any top athlete there there's only so many Michael Jordans mm -hmm. in the world. Yeah. <laughs> so the same with the horse, there's only so many top top horses in the world, so their their costs are are really high and, and what makes them so different because for human you have genes you have your you know family you have where you were born etc etc but yeah. for a dog is it really the the line of blood like you mentioned the, the father the mother mother maybe they're not the I right words yeah yeah no the lineage i think it's all of it i think it's um breeding i think it's the care of the horse i think it's the the um their upkeep like their and and how they grew up that it was a a confidence place that they grew up mm -hmm. it's their their mental strength as well like all horses have very unique personalities and they're just like people some are really competitive and love to compete and and some are shy and hate competing and and some are nervous and some are brave and like they have all kinds of personalities so one that matches also has to i always find with a horse it's not like um i i couldn't Even if you knew how to ride and you were a top rider and you said, buy me a horse so I can win a medal, I, I, I couldn't because I don't know if you would kinetically match the horse. Mm -hmm. Like it's a little bit like a, a marriage in a way, like you have to have a really good relationship. And, and for the clients, when you know the clients want a you know, top level horse and you, let's say you fly to, to Europe, 
you have to mentally match them because you ride the horse, but you have to know the personality of the rider exactly. and the, the, the dog, <laughs> the, yeah. the horse to know if there will be a match because it could be a wonderful horse and the, but they won't, just won't have the same uh, yeah, but personality it's not for that connection. Person. Yeah. And that's something that people hire you for in order yes. to kind of figure and it out. And I always say to my clients, I said, I want you to have the feeling you don't want to get off. Because if you have the feeling you're like, eh, I'm ready, I'm done, then that's not the horse for you. Okay. But you have the feeling you don't want to get off the horse. That's what, And then I always test that for myself if I'm buying for myself. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And not all horses, by the way, I, we go out and spend millions. Like it's, um, I actually don't have any clients that have ever asked me to do that yeah. but uh so they're all different price ranges there's many that are much much cheaper than that because okay. there's many horses that aren't uh capable of going to the top level okay and what's the the match you made that you're the most proud of which match which client with which horse oh wow oh gosh that's a good question um i i think i might have to say i have i have a client who is in the barn right now her name is ann sutherland and Uh, she has a horse called um, Fritz. His name is Fantastico, and she loves him. And and I, I don't know. I, I'll say this this one combination, and I'll think of another one after because I'm sure she's not the only one. And just their relationship and how they get along and how well they match together. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's a really really good match. I'm really proud of that. Uh, so she's one for sure. I'm just thinking of in the last few years what I've who I've matched up. I just found a horse for a lady in Quebec actually, and uh, we'll see in time, but she just got him about a week ago and okay. she's like head over heels in love. Nice. So yeah, there's another one. There's so, I, I don't, there's so many, <laughs> I don't know if I can It think of It means you're doing a pretty good job in theory, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, when you, when a, a rider, let's say meets a horse or gets a horse, how long do they ride it? Do they ride the horse for this? whole say career or the whole not duration? always or like do they just spend a few like a couple of years and then they move on the so both yeah. i mean some of them keep them for their whole lifestyle like their whole lives and they uh, retire them and and it's a long long-term relationship and some after a couple years might want to move on i always say you need to give it a year the, the first year is always okay. the hardest because you don't know the horse's reactions the horse doesn't know you it's a new place It's, um, you know, I always like to think of it like if you, if you're, if you're used to always living in your house in your neighborhood and someone picked you up, you didn't even, and you didn't know what was going on and popped you in a completely different house in a different neighborhood, it's going to take you time to adjust to yeah. that. Mm -hmm. And horses are the same and they're sensitive animals. So, uh, I always say it needs, you need a year before you really know if you're going to be long-term suited to the horse and, and maybe you're not, or maybe you'll find out that the horse is um, more limited than you, or you might find the horse is more talented than you and mm -hmm. want to move on. Interesting. And um, so going back more into the, the competition side, um, you, you said some of the clients want a horse that you, you, you get them or you find for them to go to the Olympics or other competitions. So in the equestrian world, in, in dressage or the other disciplines, what are the big Where are the, um, the pinnacle, what is the pinnacle of a career? Is it going to the Olympics or are there like world you know, championship or competitions? Oh. Uh, yeah. So what is it like when you're at the highest level? What is it that you want to reach as a, as a pro uh, horse rider? Uh, there is world championships as well. So that uh, they, they run in between each Olympic Games. So the Olympic Games are every four years. And then the two-year period in between is the world championships. Okay. So um, it's 
they're the biggest competitions as the world's and the Olympics. Yeah. Um, Olympics, just with the nostalgia of an Olympics is mm-hmm. definitely on everyone's dream list. Uh, worlds is huge. Uh, you just don't have the same nostalgia that goes with it as an Olympic Games. And I think it's also because you're just in your own sport at, at Worlds yeah. versus the whole country and all the different sports. So those are the two biggest competitions. Okay. So they must have it, like you mentioned, the World Championship. It's just the sports. So the people watching it, people on TV or on site are really people passionate about horse riding. Yes. Versus the, the Olympics, you'll have much a much bigger audience, but you'll have Mr. and Mrs. Nobody that just watch because it's on TV or because mm-hmm. it's in their, their city. Is that correct? It's kind of, there's yes. the, the volume versus the quality of the people watching and yes. the, the prestige that goes around it. Yeah, it's it, it's... It's true, and, and it, in certain countries where uh, dressage or the equestrian sports aren't as popular, you might not even have much of an audience. Like in Rio, for instance, the Olympics in Rio, um, the Brazilians don't don't know much. They're not mm-hmm. it's not popular dressage, so the stadium was almost empty. Okay. But if you go anywhere in Europe, then the stadium is like fifty thousand people plus. Mm-hmm. So um, yes, and the world's. Yes, it's definitely sport specific. So you'll you will have an audience based on that sport and a knowledgeable audience. Okay. Interesting. So for you, what's uh, on on a personal basis uh, your career? So you participated in the t- 2004 so in Athens uh, Olympics and 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what brought you to those two Olympics, and why not in between the other? Uh, two uh olympics um yeah i guess you have um, a part that is like um, qualifying for the olympics so yeah mm-hmm. can you kind of explain your your journey uh, yeah. professional and at the olympic level yeah it it's really um it's really hard to make the olympics <laughs> like mm-hmm. definitely and if i um had my own choice i would love to have gone to every one uh, it's just that sometimes it's you don't make it it's uh, you don't have the horse and Uh, or yourself you're not prepared or ready um or the competition in the country is just that much higher and you're not uh up there among the top four so you have to be the top three or four in the country depending on the game so used to be top four would make a team and um in tokyo it was only three so they they change that depending on each olympics if there's going to be three on the team or four it usually depends on they're trying to get more countries in mm-hmm. and what the IOC is deciding on in that particular sport. Um, so for me, Athens, I was trying to make the Olympics since um, my first attempt at Olympic Games was 1996. Okay. That was the Atlanta Olympics. And uh, my horse was injured right before the trials. So I had gone over to Europe to train and, and in Germany, they are right They're very, very good at dressage, and they have so many masters, dressage masters. Mm-hmm. So I went over there for two years and trained for the Olympics. And uh, just shortly before coming home for the trials, uh, my horse was injured. So uh, I had to I had to bow out of the trial, so it didn't make it. And then I had another horse um, for the Sydney Olympics in 2000, and he also got injured. Oh. So I couldn't try for that one either. Um, and then 2004 was another horse I had, and he, uh, I actually kind of got into that Olympics from the skin of my teeth because uh, I was uh, the fifth rider, so I was the fifth-placed rider in the country. Mm-hmm. And the f- the one of the, t- the top rider, actually, his horse was doing really well but got injured at the last oh. minute. And then I got in. Yeah. 
it's, so, it's paying back for the first uh, the first two. <laughs> I, know, I know it's so always bittersweet because um, it's tough with horses like mm-hmm. they are like like uh, athletes they also get hurt and um, they have to be at the top of their game so you really are relying on your partner like I always think of my horse as my partner in it uh, and and they also have to have the talent and they have to have the mental capacity and you have to sync with them mm-hmm. um, to be able to perform at your best. So that was Royanne, a horse called a horse I had called Royanne, and he uh, he was amazing. Like he he made the 2004 Olympics. He also did the World Championships two years later and a World Cup, and uh, he was just a fantastic horse. After that, I acquired a horse called Anton, and. I also was pregnant after the Athens Olympics, so I had a little bit of a baby break in mm-hmm. there, and had my two children, and for um, and that was sort of took me out of um, Beijing, and then in London I, I had another horse. So London was 20, 2012, uh, called Anton, who um, was looking great, but had a catastrophic in- injury. Oh right before uh, London. And he was actually off for two years. And I didn't think he was ever gonna come back. And he did come back after two years in the field and recovery. And he did one Olympic games, two world championships, and a Pan American games. He was, he's absolutely unbelievable. And he's here at the farm. He's up in the paddock. He's still alive. He's 23 now. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's like the horse in, bunch of those um, pictures mm -hmm. uh and he was unbelievable so he got me to the 2016 olympics and which was wonderful um yeah and then since then tokyo he he was then retired because he was 16 in uh in tokyo i had another horse tattoo who i went to the world championships with in 2018 but he had an injury after that and couldn't do the Tokyo Olympics. Okay. So now I'm into development mode. I have uh, I, a couple young horses that I'm bringing up and crossing my fingers. They'll have the talent and capability for, for, for games. Paris won't happen for me. Um, maybe LA. Um, and then, and then at some point I have to think about retiring. <laughs> so that, that was my, my so. A question I wanted to ask is, when did you because i mean you're you, st- you could have been to the 1996 and you might try for 2028 which mm-hmm. will be a span of 32 years um yeah is is, is it one of the sport when you can compete at the highest level for the longest time yes uh, of course you have to change horses but as the the rider um yeah how do you stay at the top level i mean you have a farm you have you are surrounded by horses naturally you keep um you keep comp- uh, competing and training mm-hmm. but yeah it is um the the competition part is still a big part of your daily life or do you kind of have it in you and you just need to find the right uh, horse to to get to the, to the Olympics? Um, it's a really good question because I'm 51, almost 52 this year, and I have uh, been asking myself that question. What's next? How long do I want to go for teams? Mm-hmm. Do I continue to want to go for teams? And I think that for me, the answer is if you... I like to live my life thinking of no regrets. Mm-hmm. So even if I have mistakes or uh, th- something doesn't go well, I don't want to ever not regret trying that. And when I think about it right now and some of the horses I have, I still want to try. Like it's still in me, like that drive and that spark mm-hmm. is still in me. Um, and I sort of have in my mind until I'm 60 and then we'll see. And it, 
it is a sport you can do for a long time. Like it's, we're lucky that way. You definitely have to stay in shape. Mm-hmm. Like I have found, especially in the last five years, I have to put a lot more time into cross training than I had in the past. Into in what sort? Cross training. Okay. I, I normally would, when in my twenties and thirties, just rode and Mm -hmm. maybe went for a run here and there and that was it and maybe did some yoga but now i have to do like certain strength exercises like your hips get a little sore and like all these other things that happen in your body as you age so um i spend a lot of time now in cross training and um and physical therapy and things to keep my body in top shape so Mm -hmm. there's more effort involved in that um so so if you take if you're if you're lucky I think in your injuries and your own body and you take care of yourself, it is a sport you can do for a very long time. Um, Beyond 60, there was, I think there was a Japanese rider that went to the Beijing Olympics and he was 71. Jeez. Yeah. So (laughs) for dressage, I think, yes, yes. In dressage. I want to say Ian Miller in in show jumping, he's just retired also in his early seventies. Like, like my hat's off, like well, well done. I, I also, for me personally, I want to still ride well. Mm-hmm. Like I want to be able to have the physical capacity to ride well and compete. I don't want to go out there and do a mediocre job. Like I want yeah. to be able to present myself well, my horse well. So that's Im- important to me in my physical state. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, so it is, it's, we're, we are lucky that we get to do this for a long time. And I have a funny story because in uh, in Athens, I was young, like in my early 30s, and then in um, in Rio, I was you know, late 40s at that point. And when you're on the Olympic Village, it's always fun to watch the other athletes and talk mm-hmm. to them. And there was a big we had a big um, condo building basically, which was Canada House. And when you meet the other athletes, all of them asked me if I was staff. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm an athlete. And then they say, really? what sport? <laughs> they're all so young and fit and looking amazing. And I'm like, yeah, cross say the 100 meter sprint. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, I'm five foot three and my husband kept telling everybody I was a basketball player. <laughs> so, That's a good answer. <laughs> I know. And I like me and the sailors, it's like the equestrians and the sailors, we can do it for a long time. Uh, and we're lucky we can. Mm-hmm. that's that's uh that's amazing yeah it's probably the longest career i mean that i've seen so far <laughs> right um, yes and so are that that's another technical question how are you uh judged on because you mentioned um the difference with show jumping where it's uh if you don't touch the the bars the the, the hurdles hurdles mm-hmm. um how fast you are and all that but how are you judged on the dressage side uh, i guess you have judges um yes. that are kind of not impartial all the time so there's also Mm -hmm. the human aspect of uh of the judge right yeah there's opinions for sure and every human being has a their own opinion Mm -hmm. and and uh, i always say with judging everyone can have good days and bad days too we're all Mm -hmm. we're all human um but but dressage has done a really good job in they're really trying to regulate the sport and in judging that there isn't, it isn't just variable. Like it's a, there are certain things they have to look for. So there are certain elements in, in the Grand Prix test. There's about 35 different movements you have to achieve okay. and they have certain criteria for each movement. So if you achieve X, Y, and Z in that movement, then you're going to get this score. And if you're above that, you'll get a higher score or below that you'll get a lower score. They also have, um, 
a advisory board at each major games. Okay. So if there's a real discrepancy between judges, the advisory board will have a look and see what happened there, or maybe a judge missed a mistake. Okay. So they can actually turn a, a mark into a different mark if that is the case. So okay. I feel the regulating body for dressage is really making great efforts to uh, improve the judging system all of the time. Okay. And the judges also have to go through rigorous training and have to keep up their credentials. So they're also, um, you know, always educating themselves and, uh, and progressing mm -hmm. in their own education. So they basically look at the movement and, and the quality of each movement and how each is, is performed. And they look at the harmony between the horse and the rider. So they want to see that it basically it looks like the rider's not doing anything and the horse is just moving and performing and dancing. Okay. And that is the end goal in such a beautiful, unique way. It's like seeing a dancer, like a, I look at those professional dancers and they're just mesmerizing. Mm -hmm. And it's also what you want to sort of see between a horse and a rider combination is they just look like they're one. And that's my goal with my horses that I just feel like I'm just one. We're one together performing these movements. And it's as a rider being on their backs, like, like I always think of it in such basic terms, like here is a huge living livestock animal that has allowed me to get on their back and lets me train them happily for rewards. And they themselves, you feel the pride in a horse when mm -hmm. they accomplish something. It's such a beautiful feeling. Like there's, it's, it gives me goosebumps when I think about yeah. how incredible it is, the relationship between human and equine and what we're able to do together. And when you have that, there's, there's no better feeling in the world. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Cause like you said, it's uh, it's an animal. It, I think it's the only sport or horse riding is the only sport in the Olympics that involves an animal. Right? Yes. Uh, so you need that connection. It's, it's a crucial part. It's like probably 50% of the success is the, the horse. Um, so yeah, how do you, whether it's training or competition, because a human knows like, Oh, we won or we did this or we did that. We did that right, that wrong. But how do you, you know, congratulate the, the horse after, uh, after training or after a competition to make him understand that, Hey, that, you know, that moment was what you should replicate and improve and replicate and improve. Um, well, a lot of it is, uh, you know, reward correction. And I also really feel that uh, the horses feel from you hmm. what, the energy. what the energy, like when you, ha I, I, have you ever like walked into a room and you're like, what's like, yeah. this is a bad energy yeah. or you watch into a room, this is a good energy. They feel that. And I really try and transmit that energy when they do do something well. And I, I talk to them a lot. Okay. And with different voice tones like that, like, you know, good and, or, you know, patting them, you, you can pat them or scratch their withers and mm -hmm. that's a reward too. Um, and then they, then they know that I wanted to add that the Olympics, it's the only sport with an animal it's, and it's also the only sport that men and women compete equally. Oh yeah. Yeah. Isn't that neat? I know. Cause you, it doesn't matter your strength or your, like if you're, if you have this many muscles or you're that tall or that short yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So I, I, that's yeah, a question I had also as well is what are the strengths that you need to be uh, in dressage or horse riding in general? But like you said, I mean, if you're heavier, maybe on the mm -hmm. show jumping, it will have a slight impact on the, 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 the horse. But I assume, yeah, on dressage, it doesn't matter if you're you know, fat, tall or whatever. You just need to connect or just, <laughs> just quote unquote, just need to connect with the, the horse. Yeah. And it's, um, you need a lot of balance and you need a lot of coordination. So I often 
because everyone will often say to me, are you doing anything? Like you're just sitting there. Is this even physical? <laughs> and I say, well, imagine. I'll try it. Sitting, try I, it know, 10 minutes. I know, sitting on, you know, those big balls, like those big Pilates balls yeah. there, that you sit on and do exercises. Imagine bouncing on one of those for 45 minutes around the arena and keeping your body so controlled and to be able to independently twitch a muscle. Like mm-hmm. um, there's a one movement, the passage I was talking about with, uh, it's like a slow motion trot. And one of the movements in the Grand Prix test, the Grand Prix is the Olympic level test, is you go from walk to passage. And on Anton, the horse I took to the 2016 Olympics, my uh, cue for him to do that was I just like brought my shoulder blades together by a quarter of an inch. And he felt the weight moving back. Yeah, and something. what you just did there would be way too much. <laughs> like it was like, you won't even see me do it. Like, that's all. That's and it. it just felt the difference and in like the feel. center of gravity or something. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it can get that intricate and that fine. So you and have to control your body because you don't want like a mosquito you know, right. <laughs> coming to you and trying to you know, do a, um, a sudden movement, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you did, yeah, lots of balance. and Lots uh, of balance and then the signals. And so some riders are naturally gifted for that. And some riders are also naturally gifted to feel the horse and the timing. So you can influence a horse in certain moments like mm-hmm. if you like let's just say you're standing on your on your left leg and your right leg is in the air but all of a sudden you want like to put your right leg down you have to get the you have to like get the right timing to put that down mm-hmm. like you couldn't have if your right leg is in the air and you're like you, you just need the right timing yeah. so for instance i can influence the horse's right hind leg when it's pushing off the ground but not when it's already in the air for a split second timing which we often need a split second timing under tack so you have to feel that timing and be aware of it. So these are all these little things that can make a great rider. And clearly the people watching at the Olympics have no idea about. No. <laughs> <Or> the, the <laughs> no, and it would be so like hard to explain it. Yeah. Like, because it, it's so intricate. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think it's just watching the beauty of it is the big picture of it. Yeah. But the intricacy and the technical parts of it is, it's very detailed. Yeah. So, so I watched a few videos before coming here. And that's why I said before coming, I, I felt for the first time on the wide recording a bit stressed that there's got a, that noble aspect that you, you know, it's like seeing two dancers connected. There is, it's sports, but it's like noble sport. It's, it's just so, I don't know, there's a prestige around seeing that, oh. that made me feel different than, you know, talking to a, a soccer player or a, right. a sprinter or anything, right? Uh, I'd like to make uh, you feel happy mm-hmm. because it's such a different sport it's yeah. a unique sport and um and i i always think of horses are noble like i like that you use that word because i think they're really noble creatures and um part part of what i want to do in in my career especially these later later years in my career is celebrate the horse because mm-hmm. i would be nothing without a horse and or nothing in this job without a horse. I also think about what horses have taught me in my life. Like they're so, um, they're such beautiful animals and the lessons you can learn from them is, is so unique. And I, I think that they're to be celebrated and to look at them as noble because they're such extraordinary, wonderful creatures. Hmm. Well, what I've seen driving in was that they have, at least they have the landscape here uh, to be happy. I didn't see them, and I'm, I'm sure they have like a whole crew and stuff to make them, uh, yeah, live their best life and at the same yeah. time perform at the, the highest level. Well, my level. horses get way more 
therapies and treatments <laughs> than I do. <laughs> I, I will spend, I don't know what on them and I, and I won't even go buy myself a coffee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? It's crazy. Yeah. And, are, are there days when you don't feel good, whether it's physically or mentally, and you decide not to ride the horse because you wouldn't want to communicate um, oh, bad yeah. energy? Yeah. I, I don't think there would be a day that I wouldn't do that, but there are moments in the saddle I, I have done that. So I will, might be frustrated that I'm not able to, the horse isn't understanding what I'm asking. And if I can't keep my frustration level at a place where I can still communicate clearly with the horse, mm -hmm. I will tell every single rider, just stop. Mm -hmm. Like it's not fair to the horse if you're frustrated and if you're not able to be, be logical in, in teaching them something. So I, I feel that every experience the horse has with the rider on their back must be a positive one. It must be mm -hmm. an experience where they feel they've understood and are proud of themselves mm -hmm. at the end of the lesson. So I, I've, I have stopped myself because I'm like, this is just not the day. Like sometimes the horse isn't having a good day mm -hmm. or there might be something that's bothering the horse that I don't actually know about. I, I like a, maybe a physiotherapist might say after, Oh, that horse has had a, he had a little tweak in its right shoulder mm -hmm. and I wasn't aware of that. So I'm very cognizant of that. Like if I'm like, oh, you know what this, and we do like my own horses, the ones that are in training with me and I ride daily, you get to know them very, very intimately. So I'm like, Oh, that's not normal for this horse. And I think it's our job and our responsibility as riders to be aware of that, recognize that and help them. Mm -hmm. So yes, I have, many times went, Nope, this is not the day I'm going to stop. Um, and then vice versa, there are days where things are great and it's such an opportunity to, to teach them and yeah, do more. Yeah. yeah. And because they're animals, they wouldn't be able to know the distinction between that person doesn't or is frustrated today because of mm -hmm. an you know external factor. They yeah. wouldn't necessarily think that it's related to them in a way probably. Yeah. So yeah, you don't want to nope. you know, communicate or, uh, yeah. Or, uh, That's very interesting. It's so different. All the questions I have, I'm taking notes, not that I'm doing other stuff. I'm, I have other questions coming, so I don't want to forget about them. Uh, and I also don't want to take too much of your time because you probably have other stuff. Um, yeah, so let's talk about uh, the farm here. So you said you acquired the land before 2000. You built the whole uh, infrastructure here. Um, yeah, what is it that you do here? You um, train uh, uh, horses, but yeah, what, what is the whole... Uh, farm about the Oakhurst farm um so it's basically a dressage training facility and uh i'm the top rider and coach and i have an assistant as well and i have clients so clients come to me they with their own horses or um they ask me to purchase horses for them and i help them with their horses and or train their horses okay. for them so the whole point of the farm is is dressage based and and training and developing and it's a big mix of clients some are um have high high goals and some just want to enjoy their horse okay. and enjoy like an everyday just to school and in, and relax so we have um currently we have 18 horses that are here okay. that are live living in stalls and i have three horses that live outside And those are those my, ones here? um, no, those, no. so they, everyone, they all go outside every okay, day. They okay. go in paddocks outside every day, but ones that live outside, um, all the time. So the ones that you see come in at night and okay, go in okay. stalls and the other ones live outside full time. They have shelter in, in their paddocks. Okay. Uh, so there's three out there. So we have 21 in total. Okay. Do they all uh, practice every day or 
you put them outside and sometimes just leave uh, sometimes they, no they have days off okay. so um i i ride five days a week and then the weekends off unless we have horse shows and uh, so horse shows are normally on the weekends or two or three days and then the horse will have time off after i feel like with any with horses they're like any athlete where you want to you know, build their muscles, but they also need the rest and recovery as well. Mm-hmm. So some, in some, are, they're all very different. Like some do better with 48 hours and some do better with 24 hours. Okay. Um, because since being a mom and having a family, I uh, really tried to structure, have balance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I just took the weekends and that's my family time and to be with my kids and my husband. And so it was just more of a, a personal decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can do any kind of mix in that. Like if you you could do a one day off in the middle middle of the week, one day off on the weekends, but they do need downtime. Okay. And what staff uh, do you have here? So you have yourself, you said you have an assistant. Uh, how many other yes. people are working um, or working or, or you know, surrounding you? I have, um, so me and my assistant are, are, we do all the riding and the coaching. Mm-hmm. And I have, during the week, I have um, Carl and his wife, Emily, who run the barn. So they do all the horse care. They okay. muck the stalls, turn out feeding like all of those and then also a bunch of the facility care because the facility itself takes a lot of maintenance you have to harrow the arena i keep the footing at a certain level um and i have one groom so she helps tack up for me and then she's just in charge of grooming and caring for the horse and any treatments the horse have like we have um, magnetic blankets that go on them and we have a beamer which is like a another type of blanket for therapy or um they need massage or acupuncture therapy. Like they have a okay. lot of therapies. So she does all of that stuff. And then on the weekends, I have two other staff that two, two days, uh, sorry, two people each day who take okay. care of the horses. Okay. Do you have like a vet? Uh, yes. Yes. So I don't know if you mentioned it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I, yes. I tried to process all the yeah, <laughs> all full-time the vet. And, um, she also does Cairo and acupuncture okay, on the horses. That's the, the, okay, as that's well. the person because I, <laughs> I got focused on the Cairo. I was like, oh wow, yeah, that's amazing. Um, okay, and so the the people here, the, the clients you have or the, the horses you have, are they some? Are there some that are being prepared for World Championships, uh, Olympics for the the dressage, or are they more like said people that want to ride their horses? Mainly, uh, just they want to ride their horses. I have. Um, maybe three riders that would that would like teams i don't mm-hmm. know if their goals are as high as the olympics yet they might get there um, seeing you training yeah, for 2028 and i think that their own success as they okay. as they develop in their own success um, but those three riders uh, i think would would like to be on a team at some point mm-hmm. okay <laughs> and what does it take for them do you um is your facility um did they select the facility here or the farm because they know that that might help them uh, uh, get they there? select me and then they also enjoy the facility mm-hmm. uh, with with my training okay yeah. and um yeah how many um dressage facilities like yours are there like across canada is it something that's quite frequent or are you kind of in, in, a, in a niche uh, well in this area there's a f- quite a few okay um, top professionals there's not a like it, I, i would love dressage to grow in canada mm-hmm. like i think it's a wonderful sport and um there's a lot of um joy that could come out of out of client or of anyone learning how to ride and riding dressage and it's something you can do for a long time mm-hmm. which is great but we don't have a huge following in canada and i would love that to improve so i don't actually know how many top professional dressage barns like i 
I probably would say in Ontario, like 20 ish okay. or 25 or something. Okay. Um, but it's not around every corner. No. Okay. So you mentioned a, a few European countries when it comes to breeding, uh, but what sport where is, uh, is dressage kind of, uh, uh, well known and, and kind of covered by media and, and TV and stuff like that. Well, the last world championships were in Denmark right. and it was huge. Like mm -hmm. the dressage, the audience was actually bigger than for show jumping, which right. is not normally the case because yeah. show jumping is often more popular. So Denmark is huge. Germany is huge. Um, I, I didn't mention Spain earlier and Spain too. Like they're, they're all most European countries. It's very, very popular. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and, and in the States it's really growing as well. Okay. And what could, what could be done in, in Canada to, uh, to make it more visible, to make dressage more visible? I, I think we need more development. I, I think we, like in Europe, they have everyone, there's a riding school around every corner. And if we could have more riding schools and get more kids um, interested in horses and when horse camps and starting riding, I think that would be huge. Like I think about how hockey is, like every kid plays hockey yeah. at some point. And, uh, and that's just not the case with horses. So um, I think that's where it starts. And then from there, programs to develop Like, okay, okay, then, you know, then you have junior leagues and then, um, like from 16 to 18 and then 18 to 25, like the more leagues and mm -hmm. interest when there's just so few that seem to come up from camps. And I don't think there is, is as many, um, kids in camps as there are in other nations. And, and it is also our population like we don't have the population of the united states or mm -hmm. some of the yeah. european countries there's definitely that as well but i just think it starts always at that basic level where where kids get involved in sport and that's where you kind of get hooked like where i got hooked in the philippines at that yeah. at that polo club do you have any uh, here any uh, activities around like familiarization like more quote-unquote touristic event or are you really focused on the people that are already in the the universe of horse riding because i mean With everything you have here, you would oh, if if you were to open, I would say, any um, you know, familiarization events that would probably bring people in. But is that something that you're exploring? I haven't really no? done that. Um, sometimes I find it difficult to balance all that because there's so much yes. time in, involved. <laughs> Only in, so many days in, in the, the week. Yeah, and so many days, and then you're focused so much on your own training, and often that would be disruption to the training. Yeah. So you would need time to put set aside for that. So I haven't really focused on a lot on a lot of that. I think it would be, I would need a whole person <laughs> to, to organize that for I'm me. I'm in. <laughs> Are you in? <laughs> yeah. In a few years when I sell <laughs> <Yeah>. the other business. <laughs> well, you let me know. <laughs> um, cool. So it's been almost an hour and you proposed to do a quick tour of the farm afterwards. Yes. Uh, so yes. I love that before I head back to Montreal. Okay. Uh, a few closing questions. If you were to meet the 10-year-old Belinda or six when you saw the first, uh, the first horse, uh, what, what advice would you uh, give her? Um... I think I would give her the advice of follow your gut, follow your passion, be patient, be kind, and be curious, and enjoy the journey along the way. Oh, nice words of wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> um, what can we wish you in the next, uh, in the next two years or next year, oh. professionally, personally, here at the farm? Oh, I think just... Um, health and happiness and just to continue to enjoy the journey. Awesome. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, one thing that I uh, like to ask is if you were uh, to um, talk to someone about the podcast, someone that would have an interesting story like yours uh, to tell, ideally a Canadian person, otherwise it can be any other athlete or someone in the world of uh, horse riding, who would that person be? For the next interview, the next podcast yes, interview? Yes, or someone that you think would be interesting to have here or on the podcast, not here at the farm. <laughs> okay, the, on the podcast. Well, I really like human element stories and people that have been extremely successful in their sport or in their business. And this one, one Canadian athlete that I have so much admiration for, and I have to apologize for forgetting his name, uh, but he was a speed walker in Athens, no, sorry, in, in Rio. And he was about to get the bronze medal. And one of the fellow competitors tripped or, or something, and he stopped to help that competitor and then lost the medal because of that very human kind um, thought mm -hmm. he had in that yeah. moment and action in that moment. And um, it, it's interesting as, as I get older in life and I think about my success and the wins, the wins don't become as important in the long run. It's, it's the feeling and the emotion behind the wins. And to be able to, any athlete that makes it to the Olympics has won succeeded, and yeah. succeeded in my mind. And someone who actually be, thought, thought less of themselves in that moment and thought about someone to help. Mm -hmm. And he gave up everything he had been striving for, for I don't know how many years he was training for this as a walker, speed walker, we, any athlete, Olympic athlete, you're training many, many years and sacrificing so much. And he was willing to give that up in that moment to help somebody should be celebrated mm -hmm. <laughs> and and talked about like what was he thinking in that moment he was being so human and i i sometimes am a little discouraged if i see um, athletes or even equestrians that are so focused on the win in the end or being number one in the mm -hmm. end that might forget about uh the the human part mm -hmm. or even for me the horse part and uh and i love i love that story because I think there's nothing more courageous and brave and something to be celebrated and admired from someone like him. Interesting. So we'll look him up. Okay. I'm thinking, that, uh, like I mentioned before the recording, I'm thinking Ivan Dunphy, but he had the bronze, uh, the last Olympics. So and it's maybe probably it was, not him. Yeah. But at least I mentioned him, so I'm too sure I didn't forget. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I'll, we'll look him up uh, once we have the, the network. Uh, and tell him there's back. an admirer from afar. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I think it, th that's the typical move from someone who doesn't want to be famous so you know yeah. the fact that you don't remember the name kind of speaks to itself right. that it's the type of person he, you know that you don't remember is. because he's it's such a great person not looking for spotlights yeah so it's speed walking with the walking yeah, the yeah, long yeah. distance marathon yeah, walking yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever yeah. walking okay yeah um the last question that's uh, recurring on the podcast is um so i'm building a wall of fame at my uh, my place uh with gears from the athletes that i interview um <laughs> when I'm saying that, I'm realizing I don't know what could work <laughs> in horse riding. But do you have any gear from you know your past uh, competitions that is somewhere in a drawer that you might uh, give away? Yes, I have a lot of things. Do you want a horseshoe? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I'll give you a horseshoe. <laughs> I was thinking about, like, I have pictures and stuff, but I think a horseshoe would be Yes, that would be wonderful. <laughs> okay, I'm going to get you a horseshoe. I don't know where we could put the signature on it, but we'll figure we'll it figure out. We'll figure it out. I can sign it. It's all steel. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> awesome. Uh, okay, so where should people follow you if uh, if they want to find uh, about you, Instagram, any social uh, media, a website? Um, 
I would say Instagram and Facebook would be the best. It's Belinda Trussell Dressage is on Facebook and Instagram. I think it's just my name, Belinda Trussell. Um, I do have a website. Uh, I do need to update that, okay. <laughs> but it, there's some basic stuff on the website, but basically I do try and do a couple of posts a week on Instagram and you can just see what's happening and just, yeah, see a little bit of the life of equestrian. Great. Awesome. Thank you so much for this hour, Belinda. I learned so much. <laughs> I asked so many questions that popped into my mind. And now I'm excited to see uh, the farm quickly before uh, heading back. Thank you so much, Belinda. Thank you. Thank you for having me. If you're still here, it's probably because you liked the episode, right? So if you want the podcast to grow and get more exceptional athletes, you can play your part by following us on your favorite podcast platform and on Instagram at unfiltered.athletes. It really helps us. And until next time, enjoy life. <laughs>